The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me now, if you would, in uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 11, but I'm just reading verses 1 through 5, because that's where these five gospel legacy blessings that have been enumerated for you who have been justified by faith in Christ. Here's what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the word of God, infallible and inerrant, that is read in your hearing. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. And by his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. When I was, as I've been studying Romans, like the rest of the, and by the way, I want to share something with you to get us started this morning. I really want you to grasp there's 13 epistles and you may be leading a small group Bible study, studying, or you may in your own personal devotions be studying, um, be studying one of the epistles, and there's there's a couple of things that are very significant about the way Paul writes that you need to know. When the Holy Spirit inspires the apostles and prophets to give us the Word of God, he doesn't divorce them from their personalities and their inclinations and their training. He uses it. And you can see Paul's um, training under Gamaliel a number of ways, but one of the ways is this. Paul is relentlessly linear and logical, and he connects the dots. (laughs) I was thinking about this as I was wanting to open it up for you as we got to this back to Romans 5 uh, for our third study in this text. I was thinking about it because um, when when we were growing up, um, we would always travel at night. We never traveled during the daytime. We always traveled at night. Uh, that was because I had three sisters and me and and uh, all four of us would be in the back seat. Um, my my place was up on top. But don't you remember those wonderful days traveling at night, looking up through the uh, the back? That was where I've traveled up there. And then my sisters, uh, the youngest one, the two suitcases in the floorboard to get over the hump would lay there with a pallet. And then the other two sisters would sit in the back and they would sleep. But now when we start out, we didn't all just go to sleep. You had to have a game. My mother's favorite game to buy was connect the dots. Connect the dots. That was her favorite game to buy. We would be back there and play that till we'd get sleepy and go to sleep. I, I, when I read the Apostle Paul, I, I shudder to think how many times he would have whipped us in connect the dots. Cause that's what he does. He connects the dots. Take a look at Romans 5 verse 1. There's a dot connector. Therefore, would you like to know how many Hundreds of times Paul uses, therefore, constantly. Now, when you see a therefore, you know what it's there for. What it's telling you is what you're about to read is directly tied to, informed by, and based on what you just read. What was just given to you 
is now foundational to what I'm about to give to you. So when you read what I'm about to give to you, go back and check what I've already said to you because it's meaningless without that context. So he takes you back there. And therefore, I think it's about 150, I think it's over 100 times just in Romans itself. This therefore just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up and coming up time and time again. He connects the dots always. Now, let, let me just kind of show you. Go, go back to the text. If you don't mind, let me read it again. Let me show you how he's connecting dots. Therefore, so that goes backwards. That goes backwards. Where do we go backwards to every, everything that's coming forward? Well, go back with me to verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, that's Abraham, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Why did he raise Jesus from the dead? Because he, that's our Lord, who was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. So you go back there. Now, that should not shock you. For instance, I just mentioned Nehemiah Day. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. When we come to the Lord's Supper, where is God bringing our focus? Well, what is the bread? What does the bread represent to us? The body of Christ given for us at the cross. And what is the cup? The blood of Christ shed for our forgiveness of sins. And we would come there for the bread and the cup. And then we are told to keep celebrating the Lord's Supper until when? He comes where? Again. Well, he can't come again from heaven if he's still in the grave. So what does that tell you? He is risen. He was delivered up because the atoning death of Christ. He died for the sins of his people. And the triumphant resurrection of Christ for our justification. Since Jesus wiped our sin record out at the cross, and from his risen, ascended glory gives us his righteousness, then for Jesus to have done that for us, what can you now say? Therefore... We're justified. Atoning death, resurrection. Therefore, we are justified. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, he not only connects us, he not only with therefore connects us to, to the atoning uh, death and the resurrection of Christ to teach us of our justification. He then goes forward. Look at these connecting dots. Go with me back to Romans 5. So you're studying it. You're getting ready to do family devotions from it. You're getting ready to lead a small group. What begins to strike you? Look, this is a thread. This is linear. This is a thread. Each builds upon the other. <clears throat> Therefore, don't you look at that. Therefore, since... There's a connecting dot. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Why do I have peace with God? Because I've been justified by faith. Why am I justified by faith? Because Jesus died for my sins and Jesus is risen for my justification. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him. Look, there's another connection. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And there's another connecting dot. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's where we are today. Gospel blessing legacy number three. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we re not only that, there's another connection, not only rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, but that's connected to what? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Here's another connector, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Another connector, and endurance produces hope. Another connector, and character, I'm sorry, produces character. And character produces hope. And there's another connector, hope does not put us to shame. Here's another connector, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through, his, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now do you understand why Paul has a hard time finding where to put the periods? Everything just keeps connecting to the previous thing. 
He is relentlessly, theologically logical and connects everything to ground zero for our salvation, the cross and the tomb. He is relentlessly doing that. And because he relentlessly is doing that, we begin to get some amazing statements. Let me give you four of them this morning. Four of them. Amazing truth number one is because, here's the first, just get this one now. Amazing truth number one, because of the atoning death and resurrection of Christ, there is a unexpected verdict. An unexpected verdict. Justified. Therefore, having been justified through faith in Christ, we have peace with God. An unexpected verdict. Why would you say it's an unexpected verdict? Well, would you back, take that therefore and get on back way therefore? What did he give us in Romans 1? These two salient features of the gospel, the power of God and the righteousness of God. Good news that God in his son has commandeered his righteousness and his power to save sinners. Well, who are these sinners? And for the next three chapters, what does he tell us about these sinners? We're indicted. We are under sin. We are under the wrath of God. We're not only indicted. The indictment is the judgment of God. We're condemned. We stand condemned. So for three chapters, he, he walks all of humanity before the bar of God's justice, judged by the holiness of God. And when he finishes that, and he does that, he then sums it up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are under sin. Romans 3.23. All are under sin. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. So what verdict do I now expect to hear? Condemned. I don't hear that. He goes to chapter 4 and says, there's no way. But God has made a way. And his way is his son. And chapter 4 then creates this treasure chest that the reformers rescued the gospel from clouded superstition and corruption in the 16th century, right from this text. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we boast only in the Lord alone. And then after doing that, he brings you to the He brings you to ground zero. He was delivered up for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification. So what verdict do those who by grace through faith have come to Christ alone for salvation? What verdict do we hear? Justified. Innocent. That's a word for innocent. Condemnation is its opposite, means guilty. Justification means innocent. I, who have everything wrong with me, am now right with God because God's Son has commandeered the power of God and the righteousness of God to remove our sins and give us His righteousness. Therefore, the verdict we hear is justification. Innocent. That's an unexpected, what we expect, guilty, condemned. But what is provided by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there are no other options. When you get to that judgment seat to be justified, You have to be in Christ. There aren't any other options. But in Christ, there is the verdict. Innocent. Enter in. 
And there is the gloriously unexpected verdict that is given. Let me give you a second thing. Because of this death and resurrection of Christ, you not only get an unexpected verdict, you get a unique, uh, you get a unique declaration of that verdict. You get a unique communication of that verdict. It's an unexpected verdict, and it is a unique verdict. Harry, what's unique? All right, I want you all to stop on this. So can I make an advertisement? If, if you like to watch television, you need to be selective. You need to be thoughtful. And in our day and time, unfortunately, you got too many choices. But since you do have some choices, make a good choice. And you need to learn one of the great programs of all time is Perry Mason. So you need to watch it. And it's a, it is so much, I mean, it's, it's, it's highly educational. And so you need to watch Perry Mason, the old one, not the new one that came out later, the old one. Go back to it. I know I sound like an old man, but that's okay. You go back to the old one. It is great. So when you get there, if Perry Mason hasn't solved it before the courtroom case is over, the case will be heard. The jury will return and they're going and after and they're going to give a verdict. When does the jury give when, and the, when does the judge announce the verdict? Before the trial or after the trial? This isn't hard now. Come on. I mean, even a Presbyterian ought to be able to speak now. Is it before or after? After. All the evidence is in. Here's the verdict. Here's going to be the verdict. And you notice you sit over there. Everybody's full. you got... You know, criminals who've never prayed a moment in their life are deep in prayer at that table. The lawyer is there next to him, next to the lawyer and the, and the uh, assistant, and there's the person, and they're just waiting. What's going to be the verdict? So let me ask you all. According to chapter 1 through 3, what verdict do we ought to hear? Guilty. What verdict will we hear? Innocent, if you're in Christ. What verdict will you hear? Come on, let's talk back and forth this morning. I mean, all those people that went to the beach, let's make them jealous. Let's talk back and forth, okay? If I'm talking to you about this, I, and you were, you were sitting there, what verdict do you think you would hear if Romans 1 through 3 is true? I'm guilty. I'm condemned. What verdict will you hear? But you don't have to wait till after the trial. He's already given it to you. Therefore, having been justified. You see, the verdict is not based on you. The justification innocent verdict is not based on you. It's based not on your performance, but his. Therefore, because of the death and resurrection of Christ. Therefore, having been justified, the one who died for your, delivered up for your transgressions, the one who was raised for your justification, because of that, if by grace through faith you have put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are not just forgiven. You're innocent. And you don't have to wait to the day of judgment. It hasn't come yet. You have not, you have not yet got to the judgment. You know why? Because you're, I see you breathing. That's why the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to, and then the, and then so you're going to have, a, you're going to be at a judgment. And you haven't gotten there yet. Yet before you get there, you already know your verdict. Because of Jesus, his atoning death and his resurrection. Can I give you a third thing? You not only have a unique verdict. I mean, you all have an unexpected verdict and a unique timing of giving that verdict to you. But thirdly, you have a unique blessing. You have, I'm sorry, not a unique blessing. You have a unique um, and glorious 
promise. And that's this. It is an irreversible verdict. It can't be reversed. Well, Harry, wait. What if I make a profession of faith, get baptized and join the church, and then walk away into apostasy? Won't the verdict be reversed? No. Because you never had an innocent verdict to begin with. You can make a profession of faith and not have a possession of faith. And what happened is you just eventually showed that there was no possession of faith in Christ and Christ in you. You see, our lives do not secure our justification. They do not enhance our justification. They do not lose our justification. Our justification is in Christ. And if, now that's a big if, if you are in Christ by saving faith, faith that comes from grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, your life cannot enhance your justification or erase your justification. It can evidence your justification. And it will evidence your justification. Not that you ever become sinless, but that your heart desire is to sin less because you love him and desire to keep his commandments. We don't live the Christian life to be saved. We live it for our Savior. Well, Harry, if you start telling people it's irreversible, they're just going to turn into Bohemian Christians. They'll just do, they'll just sin because they, they can't lose their salvation. No. If that is their choice in life, that tells you they never really were saved. That's where John says, they went out from us because they were never really one of us. That's where Peter says to Simon the magician, Sir, I perceive that your heart is still in the bondage of iniquity. It is not profession of faith. It is the evidence of the possession of faith. But the evidence does not justify you. The evidence affirms your faith. Christ alone justifies you. I pray that your Christian life is unbounding in joy and effectiveness. I do it every week, multiple times, that these precious people that I have the opportunity to serve as a pastor will know the joy of the Lord and, and enjoyably walk even through the difficulties of Pilgrim's Progress to the Celestial City. I pray for that constantly, but I want you to know something. I will never tell you that your justification is dependent upon your obedience. Your justification was at the cross of Christ when he took away your sins and the empty tomb where he gave the triumph of your justification. Our Christian life will never, you, I don't know, I don't know whether your faith is the size of a mustard seed. I do not know whether you just believed yesterday or last week. I know there's, there are two people here that just believed this last week. I know I was part of it. But no matter what happens in your faltering or in your growth in grace, you will never be more justified than you are right now from the cross of Christ and his resurrection. Never be more justified. Now, you'll grow in intimacy with the Lord. You'll grow in your witness for the Lord. You'll grow in the fullness of the Lord. But you'll never be more right than you are right now with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is irreversible. If one is in Christ by a saving faith that was the product of God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God.
not of works, lest any man should boast. For your justification to be reversible, Christ's death would have to be declared null and void. Who will lay a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, rather, who is raised and at the right hand of the Father. Because he died for my sins and rose, I am justified. It is rooted in him. For me to be unjustified if I have saving faith in Christ, for me to lose that justification, you've got to declare his death null and void and his resurrection a hoax. If he is, if his death finished the payment and his resurrection is true, then all who by God's grace through faith are in Christ, then that justification is sealed. Having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you, let me give you a fourth thing. You not only have an unexpected verdict, you not only have a, a, a unique declaration in the timing of that verdict, but you, and you not only have an irreversible verdict that is for those who are truly in Christ, but let me just say, and I, please, let me just go back to that. I know some of you, you're, you're, you're saying, my faith is so small, but I know it's there and I'm growing. Well, praise God, you are as right with God as the greatest spiritual giant you know, because you're both saved under the blessings of Christ's death and resurrection. But Harry, there's so many people that are just better than me. Well, let me just, can I encourage you here? There are no Good, saved people. There are no good, saved people. Well, Harry, how do you know that? Because I just taught from the Romans, and I had to learn what I taught you. There is none good, no, not one. Let me tell you what there are. Saved sinners. Heaven will not be populated by good people. It will be populated by sinners who are saved. And if Christ is your Savior, then you are His and He is yours. And whether it's the guy that died on his deathbed and got saved like the thief on the cross or the guy that says, I don't ever remember a time I didn't love Jesus as a covenant child who came to Christ early on or the guy who had his mustard faith that then grew into a mustard tree. I don't know where you are in it, but you are right with God. The atoning death of Christ has erased all of the sins of all of his people for all of eternity and his resurrection shouts, you are accepted. I'll say this as reverently as I can. For you to be unjustified if you've been given a grace, a grace produced faith in Christ, for you to be unjustified, God would have to throw his son out of heaven. He has died. He has risen. He has ascended and he ever lives. To plead for you. There is your hope. And that brings us to these, this fourth and final thing this morning. And that is the transformational blessings of our justification from the cross and resurrection of Christ. The transformational blessings. I've already given you two. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We have peace with God. And because you got peace with God, you've got the peace of God. We've got peace like a river flowing because the one who died for us is the Prince of Peace. And when he's in the upper room, the week, the day, the, just hours before he'll die that atoning death, and then be raised from the grave. He looks at his apostles. And in John, the gospel of John, he says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
not as the world gives, do I give to you. In the world, you have tribulation. In me, you have peace. Take courage. I've overcome the world. There's your legacy. You've got peace with God. And you not only have peace with God, you have access to God. Loved one die this week? Is your heart heavy? You got access to God. Did you falter this week? Did you return to a besetting sin? You've got access to God to confess your sins. Jesus' death sprinkled the way clean. That is glorious. You have access to God. You not only have access to God, when you get there, you've got standing with God. You're beyond even the innocent angels. The innocent angels in the face of God can't even land. They've got wings to stay in the air, wings to cover their face, and wings to cover their feet. But you don't even, you're, you're beyond the angels. You have standing with God. And you don't even take off your shoes because now you've got gospel shoes. The blood and righteousness brings you before God. When he sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son. We have, we are joint heirs. Now, we've already looked at those two blessings. Now, I want you to look at a third gospel blessing, transformational blessing. Here's the third one. I know you're sitting there. Harry, why are you using this word transformational? Well, see, now we're getting to some. Because I know all of you a while ago, when I was speaking about justification and your obedience doesn't enhance it, and your disobedience, if you're truly saved by saving grace and saving faith in Christ, you don't lose it, and you can't eviscerate it. You can't eliminate it. When I said that, you're, I know you're just sitting there, oh, Harry, you, you're just going to cut loose people. to. Uh, no, no, I'm not, because here's what I'm telling you. You not only get irreversible justification in Christ, you get irreversible blessings from Christ, and every one of these five blessings are transformational. You now have peace with God. Why is that so glorious? Because up until the moment you were converted, you and I were at enmity with God. And now you've got access to God. And you've got standing with God. But up until the moment we were converted, we had no access. We didn't even want access. We had no standing. It goes all the way back to the garden. The first sin, what did God do? He drove them out of the garden. And he put a sword in the hand of an angel that they couldn't get in. No access. No standing. Mount Sinai. No access. Only a mediator. Tent of meeting. No access to the Holy of Holies. Only the mediator. No access. No access at the temple. Only a mediator. But now the mediator has come. And from the cross, the earthquake rent the curtain in two. And now we have access into the Holy of Holies. More than that, we want it. We want access and stand before God. That's transformational. That means if you want to take a look, do you have real saving faith or not? Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you sense and know that God is your peace? Let me ask you another question. Do you love your access? Is, for instance, Lord's Day worship, when the gathered assembly appears at the command of God to give him praise, is that now your desire? Or is maybe if it works out. When the moments of challenge come, are you so grateful that even without going to your knees, you can go into the Holy of Holies and call upon God for comfort, wisdom, Insight, strength, and power, and forgiveness. We can go directly to Him. You see, all of these blessings are blessings because He has transformed what we used to want. We didn't want God. We thought we were God. We didn't want God. We didn't want access to God. 
Oh, we'd be glad to have him in a box out there in the corner in the neighborhood and go visit him. And by the way, hire a professional to talk to him every once in a while for us. But personal, intimate relationship with God, access with him, seeking him morning by morning, coming before him. You see, there's where we begin to see if I've got those irreversible standings before God, then I've got transformational blessings that evidence it before the world. They don't create my justification, but they do evidence it. And now we get to a third one. Look what he says. Okay, I got just enough time to do this. Look at chapter five. Look at the next one. So through him, we have through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's your third. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's your third gospel blessing. By the way, it's transformational. We rejoice in what? And the hope of what? The glory of God. You remember back in Romans 3? Let me give you a verse. All have sinned and what? Come short of the glory of God. Before our conversion, we could care less about God's glory. After our conversion, it is our joy. Whether by life or by death that Christ is exalted. And Christ is the hope of our glory. That word hope, there's two things in this text that are really challenging. And I'll just take a moment with them. You see that? Look at that word, rejoice. Now, here's the problem. I love to sit down with the English Standard Version folks that translated it to ask them a question. Why did they translate that word rejoice? Because that's not the normal word. The normal word in the Greek that translated rejoice is not this word. This is another word. It's three more times in the text. We're going to see it next week in the next verse. We're going to see it down in verse 11, down at the, down at verse 11. This, and it's, and they do translate it rejoice. And I'm wondering why, because we've already seen this word back in Romans 3.27. You remember Romans 3.27? Where is your boasting? It is excluded. That's the word. So I'm wondering, why didn't they translate it boast? And so I just began to do a little bit of work on it. So I'm going to make a suggestion. And I don't think the ESV is going to take my suggestion. <laughs> and I don't, but I'd love for you to at least pack it away. You could put, rejoice is, uh, and I think I know why they've chose that word. But I think the word boast would be better. <laughs> we boast in the hope of God's glory. Are we exult? We exult in the hope of God's glory. Are. Are. Take the glory and turn it into a verb. We glory in the hope of his glory. There's our glory. Folks, listen, this is transformational because all of us, even as Christians, our bent is to take either besetting sins and glory in those. I know even gospel ministers who identify with besetting sins as the markers of their life. How can we be named by what's not supposed to be named among us? But then we've got another problem. The very good things that God has given to us to use for his glory, we put and begin to glory in those instead of his glory. It may be a college football team. Now, I know, Harry, don't be an ogre. I am not an ogre. East Carolina is unbelievable. They're going to the national championship this year. I live in a fool's paradise. Listen, I love sports. I love my family. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I, I, I love all of that. I love you. I'm, I'm unbelievably overwhelmed with the blessing of being 
a preacher of the gospel and a pastor. But I must not glory in my family, my children, my job, my ministry. We glory in the hope of God's glory. And that word hope isn't wish for. I know, see, that's why we go back to five years old. I hope, I hope, I hope I'm going to get that Christmas present. No, no, that's not. It means the blessed hope. It's the anchor of life. But see, I'm trying to take time in Romans 5 because if you get the fact that your irreversible justification is in Christ and these transformational blessings are given to you in Christ, when you go through this life battling sin within and the sin outside and suffering and all of those things, you will have ballast in your soul. Ballast. Weightiness. In fact, that's what the word glory means. Weightiness. There is the weightiness that we glory in the hope of glory. And who is that? That is Christ. And all the other things, now we're actually free to enjoy them because we don't put them in the place of Christ as our glory. We can use them for His glory. And as they're used for His glory, that's when we really delight in the glory a child, a grandchild, a job, a business. We see it being used for Christ. Now we glory in the hope of glory. That if Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. Well, here's your takeaway. Here's your takeaway. It's simply the preeminence of Christ. May I ask you to do one thing? Would you go back with me to Romans 5? I want to show you something. Would you go back with me to Romans 5? I'm going to read something. I'm going to read with intonation emphasis and see if you see what I'm saying. Here's what it says. Look with me in Romans 5. Go back to chapter 4. Go back to chapter 4. It will be counted, verse 24, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Who? Who is that? Jesus our Lord was delivered up for our trespasses. Jesus, our Lord, was raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, our Lord Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us? Who gave him to you? Jesus. Name above all name, the preeminence of Christ, the assured justification of sinners and all of the transformational legacy blessings are unmistakably secured and insured in Christ alone. And I've got great news for you. As great as that is here, the best is yet to come. As I was working through this, this hope of glory when I shall see him, I first of all thought of that opening hymn. Do you all realize this blessing that we rejoice or we glory in the hope of his glory? Do you all realize that's where the last verse you sang in the opening hymn comes from? Rejoice with glorious hope. Your judge has come. I don't wait for the judge to give me the verdict at the judgment. The judge has already come to bear my judgment and has given me the verdict. Rejoice in the hope of glory. This world is divided. It's polarized. It looks to sociology. It looks to politics. It looks to everything it can look to for its hope. We must, by God's grace, demonstrate our confidence and our glory in the hope of glory. And that is Christ. 
alone. The preeminence of Christ. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm justified, but my justification is never alone. My justification brings me peace with God. My justification brings me access to God, brings me standing to God, and brings me glory in the hope of glory. And that's Christ. That's what it brings me. When I was in the Alliance Youth Fellowship, I'm so thankful for those poor volunteers in the Alliance Youth. We didn't have enough money to have a youth pastor, somebody to get paid to be disappointed every Sunday. We had these poor volunteers that came. And in the eighth grade, I may have been, but just remember, it keeps putting dividends even when you don't know it. And when they patiently got me to sing who didn't want to sing, then I would sing songs that still come back to me all the time. For instance, this one, glory for me, glory for me. I'm not going to sing it. I promise. I promise. Let me stop. I'll just quote it. Glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, the unveiled glory. Unveiled faces we will have to look on him. When by his grace I shall look on his face. Won't that be glory? Glory for me. There is the hope of glory. That we have in Christ. That we will rise. You see the best is yet to come. Here you've got glory after glory after glory after glory. As God brings you on pilgrim's progress. But when you get to the celestial city and you see him. Everything else pales into insignificance. Oh won't that be glory. When we see him face to face. But remember, there was not only one verdict that has already been issued. He's also warned you of the other verdict. Depart from me into the lake of fire. What verdict will you hear on that day is directly related to what you do on this day. Will you come to Christ And would you put your trust in him alone? Because the preeminence of Christ, in Christ alone, we are redeemed. Now and forevermore. And as glorious as it is, it's going to get better. And even in the midst of suffering, it's going to get better and better and glory a glory. And then comes this unbelievable moment when you shall see him. Sometimes there are illustrations that just come to you as a preacher. You didn't ask for them. They came to you, but you never forget them. I was at Christ's covenant and this lady that worked out at Wycliffe at it jars uh, came to me about something that was soon published. It's now available in publication, but she came to me and told me about this older lady in her church who went to her young pastor Now, when people get older, they kind of lose social graces because it really doesn't matter anymore. And so they just kind of say what they want to say at those moments. So she went to her young pastor having a terminal prognosis. And she said, Pastor, I want you to do my funeral. He said, oh, yeah, let me go check my calendar. She said, you don't need to check your calendar. Just go put it in your calendar. You're going to do my funeral. So pretty direct. And she said, more than that, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Now, I know the way you do it. But here's what you're going to do in this one. You're going to take the casket, put it down front, open up the lid, and leave it open the entire service. And when it's over, you march everybody down to the casket in front of me. And uh, he said, well, uh, you know, that's not the way we do it. She said, well, that, that may not be the way you do it, but this is my funeral. This is the way we're going to do it. And she said, now, here's what you do. You put a Bible in my left hand. And you put a fork in my right hand. He said, a what? Yeah, you put a Bible in my left hand and a fork in my right hand. And he he said, can you kind of help me out a little bit here? She said, sure, I, I figured you'd ask. You go down and take that Bible out of my left hand. And you hold it up. 
and you preach the gospel to them and tell them the word of God was the foundation of my life. And through that word of God, I came to know the God of the word. And you tell them that he has never disappointed me, that they need to know and hear the word of God, that they may know Jesus. And he said, well, I kind of thought it would be something like that, but you got to help me on the fork. She said, don't you love Christian hospitality? People do their best for you. They put a great meal out. You sit down, you eat it. After you finish eating it, they come through and the hostess is picking up the dishes. And don't you love that moment when they pick up your dish and look at you and say, save your fork. Because then you know, as good as it's been, the best is yet to come. You tell them, that's where I am. Glory from the dust of death. Glory in Christ, the hope of glory. And we shall see him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. I do pray that each and every person here has come to this Savior and will not leave here today with any other glory on the horizon. I pray that because I'd like for them to be able to enjoy the things you blessed them with instead of the emptiness of putting them in the place of glory. But I also pray this because they'll never do it until they come to Jesus and gain his unexpected verdict because of his death and resurrection. Justified. Irrevocably justified with transformational blessings and the best is yet to come. And if there's anyone here that hasn't done that, may they seek out someone up here at the front to pray afterwards as they come to Christ who came for them and at the cross did the work and from an empty tomb is ascended. And says, come to me. The preeminence of our Savior. Through him, we have life evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.